Amen. Show some love for those that God has sent into the, the life of our church. And so as I mentioned, when we're dedicated to God, he's dedicated to us. But the truth of it is he's dedicated to us even, even when we do not demonstrate our dedicatedness to him. So how is God dedicated to us? Well, let me give you the, the, the best one first, okay? God gave himself through Jesus on a cross, dying a brutal death on a wooden cross to pay our sin debt. And then Jesus was buried for three days and rose from the dead. Then Jesus ascended to heaven and said, hey, I'm coming back, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. God is dedicated to you. It's beautiful, amen? It's beautiful. Now, not only that, but God dedicates himself to us by telling us what we can expect moving forward. It's called eschatology. It's the study of end-time events. He tells us what's in store for us as his children uh, who have been adopted into his family through Jesus, and our future is bright, okay? When we have a new birth, Sometimes people say, well, I was born that way. That's why you need a new birth. That's why you need to be born again. And, and so when, we, when that happens in our life, uh, then we know what the future holds for us. Are you ready? When we die, we're going to heaven. <laughs> That's a win, amen? So we're going to heaven when we die, and he's told, he has already told us what, what to expect. There, there is no sin. Therefore, there is no death. There is no death, there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is no sickness. It's an amazing, an amazing environment that we will spend eternity in, in the presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, he's also told us what the future holds for those who don't uh, find themselves under the grace gift of Jesus, and it's a place called hell. So he tells us the future. Now, he tells us the future, and often we fail to understand it, often we fail to um, to be warned and, 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 and to uh, align ourselves with his plan. Often we just deny it. We stick our head in the sand. But trust me when I say, God is not a God of secrets. He tells us everything we need to know. Now, he can't tell us everything there is to know because our brains won't contain it. So in this book, his holy word, he's, he has told us everything we need to know. Now, sometimes it's a little hard to read. And sometimes it comes in, in uh, unusual ways. Uh, let me give you an example. Many of the prophecies, the future telling in the Bible, often it comes through visions and or dreams. And it's incredible how God does this. But now, listen, when God sends a dream or a vision, it is, it is extremely explicit, it is extremely defined and extremely accurate. We know from the, from the prophecies that have been fulfilled, they're always on time, and they're always 100% accurate, because God can't do it any other way. Now, for the record, we all dream. Did a little research. All of us dream. Everybody dreams, but unfortunately, or fortunately, we forget 95% of our dreams when we wake up, okay? Now, I got to tell you, I had an interesting situation. I'm studying about this message and about prophecy and all that. And last Sunday was a big day. So I get up about 5.30 on Sunday mornings and pray and go over my message. And, 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 and so it starts early. It's a long day. So I preached two messages and then we had new members class and we had about 25 people join and that was amazing. And I left that and I loaded some firewood because Kendra and I have a, a group of young married couples, amazing. And we had a, a bonfire and, and so we'd go out to the bonfire and we ate hot dogs and laughed and had a good time. And, and then about 10.30 I got home, it was a long day. So I laid down to go to sleep 
and I started dreaming. And I had this incredible dream that was real. Do you have any dreams that you just know you're in it to win it? I mean, you're in this thing, right? I had that kind of dream, right? And in this dream, I was by myself and I was battling this big opponent. And, and, and he was a formidable opponent. I mean, he was skilled. And, and, and honestly, I could pick him out of a lineup today. And, and on the surface, I had this dream. And this is real. I'm not making this up, okay? And on the surface, it's like, wow, well, you're listening because you're thinking, he's going to tell us when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> no, I'm not, okay? God knows that. He's the only one. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you I had this dream, and it was real. And, and it was me against this, this formidable foe. And in this dream, all of a sudden... This foe, this, this opponent, he shifted on me and he took advantage of me. And then I punched Kendra in the mouth. She's laying there beside me, sound asleep, and I punched her right in the mouth. And so after about at least 40, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. She's crying. This is, and I'm, I'm wishing this was part of the dream. I'm wishing the punch to the face was the conclusion to the dream, but it's not. The dream was over. This is real time. Her lips bleeding. She's crying. I know it's hurt. My hand hurt. I mean, I got her good right in the kisser, okay? And, and after about 100, I am so sorry. The blood stopped. The tears stopped. And she said, what were you doing? I said, I was playing basketball. That's what I was doing. I was playing one-on-one with a guy in my dream, and I was winning, and he was this great athlete, and you're thinking he couldn't have been that great if you were winning. You can shut up and have your own dream, okay? And so, so I, I told her, I said, I'm so sorry. So we finally got to a place where we were going back to sleep, and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I love you. She said, I love you too. I said, good night. And then I said, don't be bringing that weak stuff in my game anymore. Now, Now, here's the thing. What does that dream have to do with anything? It tells me I should have left the onions off the hot dog, okay? That's it. There's no prophetic value to that. And often when you have dreams, there's no prophetic value. But listen to me. When God sends a dream into the life of an individual, it has value and significance that carries weight into the future. And so... What does that have to do with our message? You know, we, we broke from the study of the book of Acts called, Can I Get a Witness? And we broke away to talk about what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Israel. So the question is, why, what does a dream have to do with the Middle East and the Middle Eastern crisis? You would be amazed. You see, many years ago, a man named Daniel, let me, let me go a different direction. And so, so in the Bible, in this book, there's prophecies throughout it. It begins in Genesis 3. Moses writes that God said he's going to send a Savior. In Revelation, it's the culmination of all of it. But I want you to know, most of these, prophets, uh, most of these prophecies came through particular prophetic people. God assigned them to be prophets, and he gave them visions and dreams and information regarding the future. And so, so Daniel is one of those guys. Ezekiel would be one of those guys. John the Revelator, one of those guys, and many more, and many more. And, and so when we read these books of prophecy, oftentimes when we read it, it's like you, we scratch our heads and like, I have no idea what that's talking about. 
And so sometimes people will make comments like, well, I don't really believe in the whole prophetic thing. I don't think we can understand what it's all about. And the truth is, if you never read it, if you never study it, if you never pray about it, you're right, you will never understand it. But I truly believe those prophecies are inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Theonoustos. That's what Timothy says. And Paul says to Timothy. And so they're in this book inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will help us understand it. Now, so we're going to look briefly at a couple of prophecies and, and why it has any part, why it matters in, in today's news when you watch the news and you see what's happening in Israel and in the Middle East. Because most of the prophecies in the book, listen, most of them are already fulfilled, okay? And the ones that are yet to be fulfilled are the greatest. It's like the crescendo. It's like the conclusion. It just, all of a sudden, the, the, the events of the very end just make sense of all of it. And so you and I need to understand a little bit about it. And so the conflict in the Middle East, we talked about it a little bit last week. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go to Facebook or YouTube and see that message. It'll help you kind of unpack it a little bit and know what's going on and why it's significant. But I want you to know the next prophetic event on God's forever timeline is this, the return of Jesus Christ for his church. You see, when Jesus comes back to this earth to rule and reign, Scripture tells us he comes with the saints and the angels. Well, if he's going to come with the angels and the saints, then that means the angels and the saints have to be with him in heaven so they can come with him to earth. And so we believe that from a, 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 a timeline perspective, that Jesus raptures, the Greek word is harpazo, it's a, a violent snatching away. He, he takes the church away from this earth. And those that are dead, their bodies are resurrected, reunited with their spirits who have already gone on to be with the Lord. We go to heaven for seven years. God rewards us for our actions and activities in this life. We answer for our life. Some parts of it I don't look forward to. But all of it's under Jesus, and he gives us, and I believe the reason he gives us and gives us the rewards, Scripture says we place them at the feet of Jesus. I think it's during the thousand-year reign. He, it will determine how we serve him in the reign, millennial reign upon this earth. So Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, stopping on the clouds, taking the church, going back to heaven seven years. Then he's coming back, planting his foot on the dome of the rock, and he will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. That's what scripture tells us. Now, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. How do we know that Jesus is coming back, right? Okay, let me just go ahead and clear this up for you. The Bible from the beginning to the end talks more about Jesus' second coming than it does his first coming. Jesus is coming back to this earth. Let me give you just a few verses just so you know I'm not making this up. In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Jesus speaking, I am coming again, and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you also will be Jesus coming back. Acts chapter 111, the, the two men in white, when they watched Jesus ascend into heaven, they're like, did you know this was coming? I didn't see this coming. And so they speak to the, to the disciples and they say, Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. In Revelation chapter one, verse seven, it says, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Matthew 24, 42, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. 
Matthew 25, 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And one of my favorites is next to the very last verse in all of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says, Jesus speaking, yes, I am coming quickly, amen. So Jesus is coming back, say amen. Now that's a win for us. If you're a Christian, that's a win. Because when he comes, he is coming to rule and reign. He came the first time to rescue and redeem. When he comes the second time, it's to rule and reign. And we rule and reign with him, okay? It's it's amazing. We don't even have a way to describe the greatness of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again to rule and to reign. And so we need to understand some things about it. Now, here's the question. So Jesus is coming back, right? So here's the question everybody wants to ask. Are you ready? So when's he coming, right? So when is Jesus coming back? Are you ready? You ready? Lean in. We don't know. We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Televangelists, they don't know, okay? Nobody knows. Jesus even said, they asked him, hey, when's this going to happen? And Jesus said, nobody knows. The Father in heaven only knows, but he's coming back. Because he said he's coming back. And God cannot make a statement in Scripture that does not happen. It goes against his nature and against his character. And so Jesus is coming back. Now, what does that have to do with Israel? What does that have to do with what? With the conflict, with the war that's going on in in Gaza or in Israel or in the Middle East? What does that have to do with it? It has much to do with it. You see, we saw last week that small postage stamp of real estate called Israel, surrounded by Islamic uh, people on every side by the masses. It plays a very specific, uh, has a very specific place in the heart of God. In Ezekiel 5, Scripture says that Jerusalem is called the center of, of nations, the center of nations in Ezekiel 5 5. Now, that word center is the Hebrew word referring to the navel, the belly button. How would you like to be known as the belly button of the world? Okay. Now, they are known as the centerpiece of God's eye, the, the epicenter of all prophetic and spiritual events in humanity. It's the center of it. Some would argue that if you take a map and you lay it out flat, Israel becomes the center based on uh, latitude and longitude. I, I don't know. You can make arguments other, way, other ways. But no matter how you skin it, it is in the center of God's eye. And it's the centerpiece of God's prophetic timeline. Uh, Jerusalem is called the city of God in Scripture. God said, I will give this city my name. And there's no other city on the planet that God has said that. Not only that, you'll remember in the Old Testament, way back in Genesis, Abraham has been given this son, Isaac, the son of promise. And Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him to the Lord, to show that he's dedicated to the Lord, that he trusts the Lord, that he's obedience to the Lord. Mount Moriah is modern day Jerusalem in Israel. Solomon built this great temple, and it was built where Jerusalem now stands. David defeated the Jebusites in the land which is now called Jerusalem. Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote 
governing rules and moral principles applied to all of Western civilization, they wrote them from the land called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus rode into on a donkey declaring himself as Messiah. Jerusalem is where Jesus then would ultimately be crucified just outside. Jerusalem is where Jesus was buried. Jerusalem is where Jesus would rise from the dead. Jerusalem is where Jesus would ascend to heaven. Jerusalem is the place where the Holy Spirit would come. Jerusalem is the place that the church you and I are a part of was birthed. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus will return again and plant his feet to rule and to reign. Jerusalem and Israel play very serious and significant parts in God's prophetic timeline. And so when we read about everything that's going on in in the life of Israel, we know that there must be something to it. And and so it pays us to know what that is. And and so, so often when we consider these dreams, there's They're understandable if we just keep reading. You see, often when we read the Bible, we stop short of God telling us what that verse we just read even means. And prophecy is that way. It'll tell us about the prophecy, and then we keep reading, and it'll help us understand more. So in the book of Daniel, Daniel was a prophet. He was an amazing man in Israel. He was transported to Babylon because Nebuchadnezzar wanted to bring the brightest people and teach them the culture of Babylon so they could go back and influence Israel to believe in Babylonian ways. And so Daniel writes this amazing book, and much of it is prophecy. Now, in Daniel 2, he tells us, he sees, he he interprets this dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of Babylon, had. And he tells us in Daniel 2, and you keep reading Daniel 7, Daniel 8. It helps us understand. It gives a different perspective of this dream that he had. Now, in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar needs somebody to interpret. But he doesn't want just an interpreter. He makes the person who's going to interpret actually tell him what he dreamed. So Daniel rises to the occasion. They pray about it. He gets the vision. He sees the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And in this dream, he sees this statue. Now, this statue has different components made out of different products, out of different things. And so he begins and he tells Nebuchadnezzar about this vision that he had. And and, and this is 600 years before Jesus shows up. Okay, 600 years, this is a long time, 2,600 years ago. And so he says, listen, that statue that you saw, Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to know, the first thing I want you to know is the head. The head is made of gold. And he says, this represents your kingdom right now. Now, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom existed from 605 to 538 BC, all right? That's what we're talking about. And so he says, that's your kingdom. And to Daniel, it's the only kingdom he knew. You see, he doesn't know about the future. He he hasn't been in the future, but God shows him what to expect moving forward. So he he has this statue. He says, that gold head, bro, that's you, okay? But you're not always going to have this kingdom. You're going to lose this kingdom. And kingdom number two is described as the chest of the statue that had silver folded arms, one over the other, And this represents the kingdom that would take over in 538 B.C. and last until 331 B.C. And this is the Medo-Persian kingdom. Now, Daniel didn't know who they were, 
Nebuchadnezzar didn't know who they were. He just knows that this statue, as he comes down the statue, are different world powers. Now, from our vantage point, we can look back and see exactly who it was. It was the Medo-Persians. And they took over Babylon. And, and, and why are the arms crossed? And when we read 7 and 8, it talks about a bear laying on his side. What's all that? It's because the Persian Empire would ultimately rule over the Medes. And it would be the Persian Empire. Now, just for, the, just for geographic sake, today, Persia is Iran. In 1935, I think it was, they renamed Persia Iran. So they're still in the mix, right? They're still in the mix. Now, so that's kingdom two. Now, as he looks at this statue, he moves from silver arms cross to kingdom number three. It says the belly and thighs were bronze. And the Greek, that's the Greek empire led by Alexander the Great, which would be the next world power. And Alexander the Great conquered the world in 12 years. And, and it, the, the kingdom was from 331 B.C. to 63 B.C. And Alexander the, Grant, uh, the Great ultimately uh, died in a drunken, depressed condition because there was, they, history says, because there was no one else for him to conquer. And, and so Daniel doesn't know that, who these are. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know these people. But God knows what's happening moving forward, which leads us to kingdom number four. Kingdom number four on the statue, he says his legs were of iron. That represents the iron kingdom, which is the Roman empire, which led and ruled from 27 BC to 1453 AD. Now, this is the last kingdom, world power, this world's ever seen, right? That's it. There's been no other world dominating power. There are world superpowers like America, Russia, China, India, the European Union. They're considered world powers or superpowers, but none of them rule the world. There have been attempts at ruling the world like Nazi Germany, but they failed. Why? Because God's prophetic timeline is not yet complete. So as you read in Daniel 2, 7 and 8, you see this statue. There's two more kingdoms. There's two more that haven't happened yet. As you read it, you learn about the fifth kingdom. The fifth kingdom, it says that his feet uh, were made out of iron and clay. So part of it very strong and part of it not so strong. We learn that it has 10 toes. We learn that the 10 toes, three of the 10 toes rise up, uh, excuse me, one of the 10 toes rise up and takes over three of those toes, all right? Now, we believe that that is the Antichrist. We believe that this is, the, it's a short-lived kingdom. We believe this kingdom reigning as a world power will last for seven years because that's what scripture tells us. Now, it's not a permanent kingdom, but it's a brutal kingdom. Now, meanwhile, Israel is tucked away over there, surrounded by hatred and enemies, surrounded around the world with people shouting pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian foolishness, okay? Israel is God's people. They are God's people. And we stand with them because anything the world stands for, we as Christians typically stand against. And so when the world stands against Israel, 
it waves a flag that says, hey, church, we should probably come to their side. Now, that leaves one more kingdom. One more kingdom. Kingdom number six. In, in this vision, as it comes down from the head of gold, the shoulders and arms of, of silver, uh, bronze, iron, iron and clay, then it says this. Daniel saw this. He says, there is one more kingdom and this kingdom is a rock, a stone that has not been formed by human hands. This stone will come and destroy all other kingdoms. In fact, it crushes into oblivion the whole statue. And this final kingdom is not a temporary kingdom. It's a permanent kingdom. And this is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've got to look forward to. So sometimes when we see what's going on, the upset in that region, we don't know what to think. Listen to me. You don't have to worry. If you're a child of God, you do not have to worry. We believe the church will be removed from the seven years of tribulation. Why do we believe that? Because Scripture tells us that we will be removed. When you read the book of Revelation, you read the first three chapters. It's all about the church. And then... Jesus says to John, who's writing the book on the Isle of Patmos, he says, hey, come up here now, and I want you to see from up here what's going to happen next down there. And then for the next, the, almost the whole book, the church is never mentioned. And then the church arises and comes back with Jesus. Not only that, as I said last week, if, if, if you just want a logical reason to know why we are removed from the tribulation. It's because when the church goes, it to, uh, goes into heaven to be with Jesus, it's to be his bride. And so why would God beat up his bride before the wedding? I mean, he may punch her in the mouth if he has a bad dream, but why would he do that before the wedding? It doesn't make any sense. And so we believe we're removed. So listen, church, listen. If you're a child of God, adopted into his family through Jesus, his son, you don't have to worry about it. You win. It doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect every day and you never have any difficulties. That's, that's a lie. Scripture tells us that when we identify with Jesus, we will have trouble. We will have hard days too. In fact, Scripture says the more trouble we have, the more we can even identify with Jesus. And so the question then is, is how are we supposed to live if the king is coming? You see, if you knew the king was coming, we don't have a king, we got a president, and you, you might not even mow the yard if, if the president's coming, you're not, you know. And it doesn't matter what president it is. They're, you, know, I, you know, we're supposed to respect our authority because of the position, and we do that. But there's just a, that's just a mess. Our whole political system is a mess, you know. I know you may love it, but it's, it's confused, okay. But nonetheless, if the king is coming to town, you're probably going to put your best foot forward, you know. You're going to take the trash out, get the sofa off the front porch, uh, you know, cut the grass, move the pickup truck, you know. I mean, you're going to clean it up. You got the king's coming. So if the king is coming, and Scripture tells us the king is coming, Jesus is, in fact, coming again, how should we live our lives in view of Jesus coming? I want to give you five quick things. I know you're thinking you've never done anything quick. This is quick, okay? Five quick things to get ready because the king is on the way. In 2 Peter chapter 3, on the back of your life guide, number one, be advised about prophecy. 
be advised about God's timeline. Uh, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter, Peter 3, verse 2, he says, I want you to recall, okay? In other words, I want you to be advised. I want you to think about it. He says, both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Then he says, verse 3, above all, understand this, be advised about prophecy. He says, in the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges, saying, where is the promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for they deliberately suppress this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. And though these, uh, through these things, the world existing at the time was destroyed when it was deluged with water. That's the flood. Verse 7, but by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by keeping by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse eight, now dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice. Be advised, okay? He says that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow concerning his promise as some regard slowness, but is patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Listen to me. Jesus is coming back. It's called, we believe, the imminent return of Jesus. It means nothing is required for Jesus to come back. No prophecy is yet to be fulfilled for the return of Jesus Christ. The only thing that has to happen is the patience of God, which you know must be wearing thin after 2,000 years of what we, our world looks like. When it wears thin and the patience is gone, Jesus will come back for his church. So we need to be advised. Number two, be alarmed about the future. Don't be scared. Don't have anxiety. We're, we, we win, okay? But be alarmed about it because in verse 10, it says, it describes what can be expected on this earth. It says, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise. And the celestial bodies, it sounds like he's talking about like the starscape, you know, when you look out at night. That's not what it means. When you look it up in the Greek, and you can do this yourself, okay, it, it means the elements that everything is built upon. It's like the elements of the periodic table when you're in science class or chemistry class, right? The elements, he says, will melt away. And when you look at that word in the Greek, it means they will begin to melt from the inside out. It's almost like describing some nuclear war or something. Now he goes on, he says, and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Verse 11, since all these things are to melt away, another reference to this same word for being melted away is when John the Baptist was gonna baptize Jesus and he said, I'm not even, Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandal. When Lazarus was raised from the dead and he was wrapped in, in cloth and Jesus says, let uh, take off his grave clothes and loose him. That's what he's talking about. When things just come unloosed, when they come unglued, things just start coming apart. And he says, in this manner. Now, Colossians says that all things were created and are held together by Jesus. And that's not figurative speech. 
Jesus was there when God spoke all of existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing at all. Jesus was there. Jesus is right now sustaining, holding everything together with his word. And one day, Jesus will determine which parts go away and which parts stay. Thirdly, be accountable to God, knowing this. Now, he says, so what sort of people must you be conducting your lives in holiness and godliness? What sort of people then are we support, supposed to be? That word what sort in the Greek means what manner of people, what nature of people, what foreign behavior should be part of our life. And then he tells us we should conduct ourselves, our lives in holiness and godliness. Now, you know in the world that we live in, we spend more time pursuing godless and holy, uh, holiness-less uh, things in this world. Most of the things do not contribute to our holiness. Most of the things that we, are, that we pursue in life do not really help us be more godly. And so in, at the end, when we, if we're expecting the king to come, uh, Peter, we read it here in 2 Peter that we are supposed to be pursuing holiness and godliness. We need to live a life that aligns with our profession of faith. Fourthly, we need to be actively living for Jesus. We need to be living for Jesus. If you're a Christian, your life should be lived for Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord, and your King. Same for me. This is the same for all of us. God's goal for us is for us to conform to the image of Christ. That's our, his ultimate goal for every single person, conform to the image of Christ. It means we should obey him in our lives, and we should be actively living for him. Listen to what it says in verse 12 uh, through 14. It says, while waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, the king's coming, waiting for him, hastening for him, because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved, and the celestial bodies or the elements will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. Verse 14, therefore, because now, Peter says, because I've told you this now, therefore, this is why I included this. He says, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our dear brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, speaking of these things in all of his letters, some things in these letters are hard to understand, things the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they also do the rest of the scripture. We need to be actively living for Jesus. Now, in, in this passage, it keeps talking about the word, um, it keeps talk, using the word uh, waiting. The word waiting there is actually a word that means to actively look, to actively anticipate, to actively be engaged in, in the reality that the king is really coming. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus spoke about how we typically do this. Typically, we act like they did in the days of Noah. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, but as for that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels in heaven, except the Father alone. For just like the days of Noah were, so the coming, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, 
People were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus even said, even though a preacher will stand up and say, hey, the king is coming, you better be looking for him. This is how I want you to live your life. We'll just listen to it. It'll go in one ear and out the other. And we'll just live for ourselves and for the day. And we won't pay attention. And then when Jesus comes, because the king is coming, he will come like a thief, just like he did in the days of Noah. And so I want you to understand, when we read this stuff, if you're a believer, things don't come to an end for us. Things come to a fresh new beginning. There is a new dawn. And, and, and we're in heaven when all of this judgment, when, when the 21 uh, forms of judgment are given in Revelation, uh, the seals and the, the bowls and the trumpets, we're not in on this. God's judging the world. He's judged his church through Jesus, and we do that in heaven, okay? And so it, it's encouraging when we know the whole story. Lastly, be advancing in your faith. You want to know how to live your life today in expectation while looking for the king who is coming. Lastly, be advancing in your faith. Verse 17 of 2 Peter says this. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard that you do not get led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your firm grasp on the truth. He goes on, he tells us this in verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be uh, the honor both now and on that eternal day. There's no time right now to be a lazy Christian. There's no time to be an undedicated Christian. There's not, no time to be an apathetic, uh, lassadaisical Christian. We need to be serious about our journey. We need to be growing and developing in our relationship with God through Jesus, his son. So when we think about it, we're to be alive. We're to be alarmed. We're to be accountable. We're to be active. We're to be advancing. Now, what does that really look like? Okay, we just came through a normal week. How many conversations about the return of Jesus Christ did you have? If it didn't come up at least once, you're probably not actively expecting or anticipating Jesus to return. Now, what does it look like when you actively anticipate and expect Jesus to return? Several weeks ago, Clark took a team to the Philippines. Clark, were you gone for two weeks? About two weeks. About the day after Clark got on an airplane to fly to the Philippines, his older son, Major, who's three, started saying, where's my daddy? Well, he's gone to the Philippines. The next day, when's my daddy coming home? Well, he'll come home in a few weeks. He amped it up as days went by. If he would get upset, I want my daddy, okay? Almost every day, is my daddy coming home today? Almost every day. Almost every day, when's my daddy coming home? Now, there was a day appointed for Clark to come back. And he boarded an airplane in the Philippines and he landed at McGee Tyson. And when they picked him up, when, when Major saw you, he ran to you and jumped in your arms, didn't he? And when you saw him coming, you opened your arms and you received him with a smile and a 
and a sweetness in your heart. That's what's going to happen one day. Listen to this is This is the sweetness of it. He's told us everything. He's told us how we can be included. He's told us what to expect if we're included. He told us what to expect if we're not included. And he told us on this day, Jesus will come and gather his church. And I believe with everything that's in me, it will look like a a reunion between Clark and Major, his little boy. Where, listen, where Major was excited. Amen. Where Major was excited to see his daddy coming back. But he was no more excited than his daddy was to get back and I'm telling you I believe when that day happens when the father says Jesus you go get your church I think he's been waiting 2,000 years kind of like major is today the day can I go get them today nope I got a patience I got to save some more but I believe when Jesus returns it'll look like that we want we think we're excited to see Jesus one day he's going to be amplified more excited to see us and I want you to know you can be part of that And it all comes down to this one simple thing. What did you do with Jesus Christ in your life? A Luke told me his testimony. He said, I walked away from God for a long time. And his words, he said, but I had a moment. It's a good moment too, wasn't it? I still see it in your eyes, my friend. It takes a moment when in the depth of our soul, we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we receive him and his grace gift. And we repent and we turn to him and live for him. And that includes us in God's forever kingdom. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here today and you just think, you know, I just don't think I'm a part of that. And I want to be a part of that. He wants you to be a part of it too. He died on a cross to prove it. You simply have to get to a place where you repent of your sin, meaning you change your mind. I I don't want to do like that anymore. I don't want to believe like that anymore. I don't want to act like that anymore. I am turning, changing my mind. I'm turning to you, God. I want to live for you from this day forward. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to send your Holy Spirit into my life so I can live for you. I want to be included in that church family when Jesus, King Jesus, comes again. For the rest of us, many of us have already given our lives to Jesus. It means that we start living like that. We start living. These baptisms were beautiful. It's a picture, a symbol of what a salvation is. Post-salvation, post-baptism, we need to live in a world of darkness like we're filled with the light of the world whose name is Jesus. Father, we come to you. I pray for those that may be separated from you today in their sin I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict their heart not any words that I say but that your Holy Spirit would convict their heart and you would invite them into your forever family and they would know that it only comes through Jesus Christ your son and his finished work on a cross God I pray that they would have boldness to receive your gift today and live for you from this day through all of eternity God I pray for those of us who are already believers that God we would just be looking for you every single day because you could come back at any time and we give you praise for it in Jesus name we hope that God spoke to you through this message if you enjoyed the message be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events be sure to join us again next week Until then, may God bless you.